scripture reading this morning will be from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. It's John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. If you're reading from the Bibles in front of you in the pews, it'll be on page 941. 941. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, We think about the good things that have happened and are coming up. We want to continue to pray for one of our elders and also one of our ministers that are going to be going to Honduras this week to speak at a lectureship. We're thankful for Randy Duke and we're thankful for Tim Martin and for their willingness to go and be a part of the lectureship there in Honduras and for the great good that could come uh, from that. And let's be sure and be mindful of that in our prayers. And also speaking of the Dukes and the Lee family, we rejoice with them. As already mentioned, David and Hannah's engagement party last night. You know, the way I described it was I have never in my life gone to a party and left a wedding before, but that was really, really a a neat experience. And uh, we are thankful for them. Truly a wonderful couple that truly loves God and loves each other. And what a blessing that is. Also, our young people might not want us to mention this this early, but next Sunday night will be our back to school service where we will have a a lot of challenges to all those that are involved in school, whether those that work or those that attend school. And then also a lot of prayers uh, that God's will will be done in the lives of all that will have so many opportunities to be such a powerful influence. Also, because of that, by coincidence, that's next Sunday. It's a fifth Sunday night. Because of that, we'll have our fifth Sunday night singing this Sunday night. And so we look forward uh, to that also. Also today, we bring to a close this series that we have been looking at in worship. And I hope uh, that, that this series helps all of us uh, to worship God uh, in spirit and in truth as the text that we have just read. We definitely live in a time where it is easy to be distracted from what is truly Uh, and should be a worship to God. And we'll try to address some of that this morning. I think about, I'd like to uh, share with you a few lines out of Dan Chambers' book. It's entitled Showtime. It's written a few years back. He records an interview with Bill Hybels of the Willow Creek Community Church and then also with Peter Jennings of ABC News. And Jennings says to Hybels, it doesn't feel to me at all religious to be in the auditorium. It's really more like a theater. Is that intentional? Without hesitation, Howells responds, yes. Then as Jennings talked with some who attend church, he, told, he was told by one of the worshipers there, oh, here, it's like going to a movie, only better. Alan Walsworth describes how they plan their worship service each week, and, and he says several things, and I'll skip down to where he says about their music. He says, drive the beat of worship with percussion. Conclude songs with a flourish of high notes and loud dynamics. No one feels compelled to clap after a slow or soft music. We don't allow any music in our church to which we couldn't roller skate. The new model for efficiency and friendliness and enthusiasm is, now keep in mind, this is the new model, is Walt Disney World Worship. 
Several weeks ago, we talked about what is worship. And then for several weeks, we looked at how is it that God has taught us to worship. And I want you to realize that one of the things that we must, we must be aware of is in Romans, the 10th chapter, we find out that not everything that is wrong is done because of wrong motives. I'd like for you to listen very carefully to this passage. I'd like for you to read it along with me. Romans, the 10th chapter. And I'd like for you to notice that as we look at this passage, we see that it is very possible for people to be very excited about God and not be righteous in the eyes of God. It's very possible for you and I together here this morning with a real zeal for God and God look down and still say, what you're a part of, I do not want from you. And so it is we read Romans the 10th chapter and verse two, where Paul says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Paul says, I'm witness to it. I see it. They have a zeal for God. Here's the contrast, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I believe that in our day and time, one of the greatest temptations that we have as religious people here in the United States of America is described to us in Romans the 10th chapter. We live in a time where if you just show excitement and you show zeal for God, people are willing to line up for you and accept that whatever you express and whatever you say must be the proper and the right thing to say as long as you sound like you are sincere and that you are excited. Friends, I beg you this morning to realize that as wonderful as it is and as needful as it is for us to be sincere, and if there's anything in this world we ought to be excited about, it's the opportunity to worship God. But sincerity and excitement has nothing to do with you and I finding out whether or not what we are about to offer to God is acceptable to Him. And hence, that becomes our challenge as we read again the theme verse that we had or the the text this morning. Look again at John, the fourth chapter. As, As you look at this, I'd like for you to notice just some bullet points at the top that we'll be working through this morning. We want to be true worshipers. You see at the top of the slide there? Now, if we're going to do that, we're going to worship God. In other words, he is the one that we direct our worship toward. He receives our worship. We need to worship God in spirit. Notice that's a lowercase s. That is talking about with our being. It's not enough to just show up that we are to bring something to offer to him from the inside out. And then notice third, that we are to worship him in truth. There is a standard and God is the one who has given the standard and we find it in truth. The word of God is truth. And so we see in the next slide, we see a little bit of an emphasis. Let's go ahead to the next slide. And notice we see in in the John, the fourth chapter, look there in 23, where he says the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father who receives worship. Who do we direct our worship toward? We worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such to worship him. God's a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, lest you say, well, anybody could do that. That's no, that's no challenge at all. Friends, we see one of the greatest men that ever walked the face of this earth had troubles with that. How can you find a man much greater than the Apostle John? Late in his life, he'd already lived a godly life being the one that, of Jesus' very best friends, the Apostle that Jesus loved. And here at the end of his life in Revelation, we see him growing so excited Whenever he sees a scene of worship, read along with me in Revelation, the 19th chapter. We're going to read verse 5 and we're going to skip down to 10. He says, then a voice came from the throne saying, so he's seeing the throne and, and he's seeing this worship take place. And he's hearing the one on the throne say, praise our God, all you his servants and those who hear him or fear him, both small and great. And look at verse 10 now. John says, I fell at his feet. And this is the feet of the angel. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and your brethren. You have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here is an angel of God showing him this vision. And John gets so excited. What does he do? He misses the point of adoration. The target for our adoration, that's worship, is pour out adoration to. The target of our adoration is to be God. And he gets so excited with what he sees, he bows down to worship the angel. The angel says, whoa, you can't do this. I'm like you. How's, he, how's an angel? Remember several a few months ago, we studied angels are messengers. They're servants of God. In other words, he's saying, John, you're a servant of God. I'm a servant of God. And then, how simple was this? John, you know what the correct thing to do? Mount Juliet Church of Christ, you know what the correct thing to do? Worship God. None other. None other. Worship God. Well, surely he's learned his lesson, right? No, let's go over a couple of chapters. Look at Revelation, the 22nd chapter. There's another scene that he sees. And, and what does he do? He gets so excited. Let's read in verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I'm your fellow servant and your brethren, the prophets, and those who worship the words of this book. Or those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Now, if you'll notice here, it did not say in this particular verse, in the previous one it did, but in this verse it doesn't say that he worshiped the angel. Some have said that the difference here is that he was not intending at this point to worship the angel, but he was intending to worship God through the angel. And so he was going to bow down to worship God through the angel. Now, whether it was he was about to worship the angel again, or if he was going to worship God through the angel, either would be wrong to do. We do not worship God through anyone. We worship God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we don't do it through an earthly priest. We do not do it through some kind of statue that we bow to. On this next slide, we see what is very, very common in America and around the world today. We see individuals that probably mean very well, probably very sincere, and probably think that this is a way to draw them closer to God. And yet what I need to realize is that when I open up the new covenant, keep in mind the church did not even begin into Acts the second chapter. And we look and say, how did the church worship God? 
And we look all through the new covenant. And what we see is anytime people were about to bow down before anyone other than the almighty God in worship, they were told not to do that. We need to be very, very careful to make sure that we are not worshiping through anyone on this earth. Now, with that in mind, I want to remind you of some passages going back and setting the standard that took place at the beginning of time. And we see it clearly revealed in the Ten Commandments. Drop back and look at Exodus, the 20th chapter. Look at verse 4. Exodus, the 20th chapter and verse 4, where he says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Now, many of the images today that individuals bow down to to say that they're worshiping God through this image, there are images like things that are in heaven above or like things that have to do with spiritual things pertaining to the life of Jesus Christ. But notice, God says, I don't want, and this is old covenant, but he's setting a standard here that we're going to see similar teachings throughout the New Testament. And that is, I don't want carved images. God, what do you want? I want you to just worship me. Don't worship me through people. Don't worship me through carved images. Just worship me. And he says in five, you shall not bow down to them. And he says the rest of verse five is because he's a jealous God. And that's using jealousy in a holy and a righteous way. Now we come over to the new covenant and we see first Corinthians, the 10th chapter in verse 14. And we see him saying, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We go to first Corinthians 12 and two. And he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. And the the idea of dumb there is they can't speak. They can't communicate. They have no intelligence. But isn't it amazing that a dumb idol can lead intelligent people away from an almighty God? If we just pause and think about that for a moment, it just, it just boggles the mind that an idol that has no intelligence at all could lead intelligent people away from an almighty and all-knowing God. But yet that is our struggle. Friends, all I'm trying to do is relate to you and I this morning the challenge of when we say worship God and we say, oh, that's easy enough. I'm just trying to get you to see this morning that throughout the scriptures, God is kind of trying to shake us in the shoulders a little bit and say, if you think it's easy, trust me, it's never been easy for mankind. It is so easy for mankind to get off course of simply worshiping God. Let's look at one more in 1 John, the fifth chapter. John, the one that we just read a few moments ago that messed up and bowed down before angels. Notice what he says in in 1 John, the fifth chapter. He gives us some beautiful truth here. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. See, we want to know God, the one who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Isn't it interesting how he built up the description of God being the true God? And then he says, now the ones that aren't gods, that, that's not God, They are gods with a little g. They're not true. Stay away from those. Don't be a part of those. But you know, even though there are several today that would bow down to statues, there might even be some that that would practice what they would even call idolatry. 
Isn't it interesting that what seems to take place more often today in in North America is a worship of self. When you Google worship images, this is either the first or second image that comes up. Now let this sink in. All you do is Google the word worship. Google the word worship. And what pops up looks a lot more like a modern day concert. And concerts are what? Entertainment. Entertainment is about whom? The audience. And so what we have to decide and what we we need to study deeply is God looking for us to have a time of an assembly where the emphasis is on the audience that is sitting out in the pews, or is it the fact that worship is to be about only one, and everybody that has gathered is, as the text this morning said, we are to be true worshipers. We are to be the participants. Everybody is to be pouring out their adoration to the only one who is in the audience, and that's God in the audience. And if he's the only one in the audience and the worship is toward him, then that leads us to the point of saying, what is it that he wants? Now, again, reading through the New Testament, we would never find anything in the New Covenant that would make us believe that worship mirrored entertainment at all. Instead, it would be very, very different. When the audience is the target, it's no longer worship to God. You know, several years ago, and this would go back when most worship services would have been considered stoic. And I'm not advocating that stoic is, is uh, a better route to go than, than any of the other ways that, that would be wrong. The best known Baptist preacher to ever live... Is Charles Spurgeon. And years ago, what he saw and what he prophesied was going to happen, men and women around him didn't believe him. And it was decades and decades later that men went back to his writings and they almost scratched their head and just in like, how did he see this coming? He called it. He could see it when so many never dreamt that it would happen. And Spurgeon says this, there are those who would like to unite the church and stage. Cards and prayers. Dancing and sacraments. And people couldn't understand where he's coming from. The idea is there would never be a time that the Christian church around the world would have dancing in their worship service. No, there will never be a time that the pulpit will be taken off the stage and all that will be up there will be stage lights and actors and actresses and everything will be done as a performance. Do you know that there are churches that send some of their full-time staff to Nevada to meet with stage directors in Las Vegas to learn how to better conduct their worship services. 
It is amazing that years ago, Spurgeon could see it coming. Where now in many worship services, the entertainment that takes place on Sunday morning is very, very little differences in what took place on Saturday night and Friday night in the secular world. I remember several years ago attending a funeral. And just a few moments into that funeral, it was announced that this individual loved to worship God. And for the rest of the funeral service, it would be a worship to God. And so a band was called to the front, and they played a few songs. And then there was another time of speaking and said that what this person really loved was interpretive dancing in worship. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to worship God through interpretive dancing. And about a dozen girls between the ages of 15 to probably 25, they came to the front, and as the musical instruments played, they danced. And that was in this far out place called Mount Juliet, Tennessee. I can't really express to you what I felt that day. I couldn't help but think of Exodus 32, where Moses came off the mountain. And because they were being influenced by paganism, they built the calf. And remember, before Moses saw it, he could hear. And he says, I don't hear noise like it's a battle of victory or defeat. You see, it was another type of noise that he heard. And he knew that it was what surrounded pagan worship. And the noise that he heard was the song and the dance of paganism. Again, I'm... I'm not trying to judge those individuals' hearts. It's not mine to judge. I'm simply telling you that what we have to do in everything as we come to worship is we need to look at the one to whom we worship and say, what do you want us to do in worship? Well, what authority do you do these things? And who gives you this authority? There's no one. Well, let's just pretend. You go up to an interpretive dancer. Who gives you the authority to do this? It wasn't Christ and his covenant. So if it wasn't Christ and his covenant, where did it come from? It had to be introduced by a man. Who gives you the authority to have the band up there? It wasn't Christ and his covenant. Who gave the authority then? Who gave the authority for live performances where the stage becomes a playhouse? It wasn't God. So if it wasn't God, who gave it? Now, let's pause there for a moment. And so if it's because we want it, now who have we started worshiping? Okay, I'm not going to build an idol and worship an idol, but I tell you what I will do. I'll worship me. I'll give me what I want. This is what I want. Or when we go to the next slide, we see that sometimes it's not what I want. Sometimes we see worship as a means to get to an end of greater attendance. Do you see worship as a means or do you see it as the end? There are many churches that they study every week. There are literally churches 
that they play back film to their full-time staff every week to critique. What could they do now to create a larger audience? And it's the idea, let's offer people what they want. Let's send surveys to the community that literally takes place. Let's give the people what they want. In other words, worship is not the end. We have come to worship God. It is the means to say we are going to worship God. And if we do it with this beat, we'll get more young people. Or we could say, if we do it more stoic, we'll get more older people. Or we're near an army base. Let's do it more patriotic and we'll get more people. What about if we said, God is worthy of our worship, period. I love and I adore God. And I'm going to come together with others that love and adore God. And we're not there for us. And we're not there to see how many others we can, we can hook in with deceptive bait. We want to come together to worship God. And that's the end. That's not the means. That is the end. God's a spirit. And they that worship Him. Oh, there's a means. They worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's the way we get to worshiping God. So what about that spirit? Worship in spirit is not mindless. It's not heartless. The act of worship stems from a heart of adoration. This morning, if you did not come here deeply in love with God, it is impossible for you to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because worship is for those who love to pour out their heart of adoration to God. I understand that there's times where it may not feel quite as, as easy to do this. But I think back recently, I think about to our stateside campaign. We probably have never had as successful of a Saturday on stateside campaign as we did this past year. And I've got to be honest with you. I was so thankful to God and for all that God had done for us and and through us and in that community just in that day, I couldn't wait to come together with His church on Sunday to pour out our adoration to Him. The more we count our blessings, the more we see God, the more we're going to say, I can't wait to have that opportunity to sing to Him, to pray to Him, to remember His Son. To hear His Word and, and, and lift it up in my life and to give back to Him. I'd like to show you quickly. We've already gone through all of these in the how-tos, but I want you to see how the heart is involved in this. Let's think about prayer. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and verse 15, he says, pray with the Spirit. Notice that's the lowercase s. That's us again, all of our being. And to pray with understanding. God's not looking for just memorized prayers. He's not looking for repetition. He's looking for, in James 5 and 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See how it's not hollow and it's not shallow. It's deep and it's powerful. When we look at the preaching of God's word in Matthew, the 13th chapter for the people's heart, see how every one of these starts in the heart and flows out. The people's heart was waxed gross and their ears were dull of hearing and their eyes have closed. But notice he says, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should what? 
understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. The preaching of God's word is always to touch the heart. The Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 and 24, he said, this do in remembrance of me. It's what we do outwardly, but it's what we appreciate inwardly. When we think about the contribution in 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, he says, so let each one give as he purposes where? In his heart. He's made a plan in his heart. He's considered all week how much God has blessed and then gives back accordingly. And singing in Colossians, the third chapter, verse 16 ends with saying, with grace in your hearts. Ephesians 5 and 19 would even talk about the melody being made in your heart. Listen, when we talk about worshiping God in spirit, it means that we bring all of our being It's not just, I'm present, Lord, count me here. We bring our being, and from the depths of our heart, we pour out our adoration to God. But notice, we do it in spirit and in truth. For the last five weeks, we've been looking at the truth of what God has given us about how to worship. And I would like to remind you that one of the things that we looked at in that was that God wants acceptable worship. Remember, God's not a beggar. Remember, we looked at Cain. God didn't just accept what Cain offered. Remember Nadab and Abihu, God didn't just accept what they offered. Remember when the Jesus went to the individual and says, in vain you do worship me. God doesn't accept just anything. This morning, I'd like for us to go to a quote that if you go to memorials around this nation, you'll see that this quote is almost always attributed to Martin Luther King Jr. And he used this in a very powerful way. And I take nothing away from that. But friends, this quote is not Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote. This quote is God's quote. And God gives it in a few different settings. But I want you to see in the book of Amos where God gives this quote. And this is how we'll close our our study here of all of this in in worship. Look at Amos, the fifth chapter. And Amos, the fifth chapter, Amos is sent. He's the preacher that has been sent out as a prophet. And he goes to Israel, to the northern area, and he preaches to them. And the problem is they have a lot of prosperity. And, you know, a lot of time in times of prosperity, we start thinking we're good and we can make the rules. And so they started making the rules about the way they wanted to worship God. Isn't that interesting? Think about that for a moment. They set the rules for how they wanted to worship God. Oh, I still want to worship God. I'm still going to go to the assemblies. I'm still going to keep the feast days. I'm going to do what God wants, but I'm going to do what God wants the way I want. And, and so this is what he says. Notice how strong the language is in 21. I hate, I despise your feast days. Can you imagine that? They've come together to religious service. They've offered things to God. God, look how much we're giving you. And God says, I tell you what I think about your gifts. I hate it. Come on now. God accepts anything we offer to him. Find that in the Bible. Find as long as you're sincere, as long as it's convenient, as long as you're genuine, that that as long as you're excited, as long as you're zealous, God's going to just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Isn't it interesting how over and over and over in this series, we've seen people offer something to God in worship and God say, I won't accept it. I hate it. You are leaving worse than when you have come. You've come into worship and it's made you worse. Okay, so he says, I do not savor your sacred assemblies. And then interesting, they gathered to assemble and they did it to be a sacred assembly. I don't like it. Through, though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And that was a key word we studied weeks ago. It's not about, did you like the service? It's not about, this is what makes me feel good. It's not about, this one really excites me. The whole question is, what does God accept in worship? 
And so he says in 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. I'll not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. And here's the quote. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And if time permitted, we'd study the next three verses that follow that's still about their false worship. What's the point? When he speaks about justice coming down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, do you realize what he's doing? He's saying, there's going to come a day of judgment. And you're going to give an account. And you're not going to be able to get out of the path. Justice is going to be brought upon all those that would not worship me the way I ask. Righteousness will be the standard. And if you're not right, you're going to be rolled over like a mighty stream coming off of a mountain. That's why in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, when we see that word to, that we may serve God acceptably, and that word serve is sometimes translated worship there. The whole question is, is it acceptable to God? Because one day I will give an account as to whether or not my priority and my actions were to worship God in spirit and in truth. Because God is not a beggar. He's not looking for just anything you offer him. So what did I learn today? Number one, I learned I can either entertain or I can worship, but I can't do both. Number two, I've learned because it's all about the audience. Either God's the audience or you're the audience, but it can't be both ways. Number two, it hasn't always been this way, so what has changed? I know some of you that are my age and younger, you may have never thought of this, but worship has changed so much in the last 25 years that 25 or 30 years ago, people before that would not have even looked at what happens today in worship and recognized it as worship. It wouldn't even be recognized. If somebody said, hey, that's a worship service, they'd be like, right. It may be a concert. It may be some kind of Friday night throwdown. That is not a worship service. What has changed? Has God's word really changed that much in the last 25 years? If so much has changed in worship, have the people changed or has God's word changed? And then finally, if my heart is empty of adoration for God, it is impossible to worship him. This morning, I hope that your heart isn't empty of adoration. This morning, I hope that every one of us here loves God enough to say that I want to worship Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want His will to reign in my life in everything. Universalism is the idea that everybody's saved. I really hadn't thought about that much until I studied for this lesson. That is what has happened to America as it pertains to how to worship God. Everybody can do anything they want, and it's worship to God. As long as you say it's worship to God, would anybody question it? And what I'm begging you to do this morning is question it. Question everything you do in worship and make sure that it's by the authority of God and that you can truly say, I've worshiped God in truth. Can you also say, I've worshipped Him in spirit? Are you here this morning because your heart is set upon God?
because you love God. Maybe you love him so much you're ready to turn your life around and give it to him. We'd love to assist you in being baptized into Christ. We would love to assist you if you have been immersed into Christ and you want to come back. We would love to help you in any way. It comes with stand as we sing.